Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 19th of July. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined again by CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, politicians freak at economic truths, condemn Australia to economic disaster. And the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, the economic imperative for Australia to go to space. Before we begin, Craig, as usual, what we cover on the show, we publish in our weekly Australian Alert Service magazine. So we can't do justice on, on all these topics in the time we have on the show. If you want to know more, call in on our toll-free number and get a copy of this. And especially this week's issue, which has a lot on the space subject that we'll discuss yep. at the end, right? Because it's, um, it's, it's definitely worth celebrating. But we're a bit short of time today because we're fit, fit to get through. So mm -hmm. let's get into it. Politicians freak at economic truths, condemn Australia to economic disaster. The the trip I took to Western Australia for that, that we talked about last week on the show, where John Adams and I were driven around by Barry Mason through Mandurah, and we did a show on it called The Economic Massacre of Mandurah on the John Adams Martin North Channel, Interest of the People, which I really urge viewers to watch. That's had a huge reaction. It's like we've come in from the East to comment on their situation, looking at it through the eyes of people from the East. We said that. We said, look, we're looking from the standpoint of this of what's happening in Mandurah and WA more generally was happening in Melbourne and Sydney, the, the financial system would be toast. Well, Robbie, uh, I was born and raised in Western Australia, so it's not all focused on the East. No, that's I, right. I, I understand Mandurah used to be a really sleepy little town for many, many, many years. And what but happened then, was it led the boom? Yes. And now, our point is it's leading the bust. Yep. Right? So there was, and and that, that's the main point of it. The thing is, though, there's been two types of reactions. It's been welcomed by the general public over there. We've had nothing but positive feedback from normal people saying, finally, you're saying what we're experiencing, not just on housing, but on the, the economic decay and social decay that goes with that, including the drug problems, et cetera, in the area, yep. unemployment. But the politicians, Craig, have freaked. So you've had in this, um, the, the 17th of July, Mandurah Coastal Times, you had this front page, Mandra's reputation battered as our city cop status of worst case scenario. The sky is falling, special report. And then over there on the pages four and five, the, the report on the show that I did with Martin North and John Adams. And then you got a doomsday economists out of order and attacks from the mayor, the local Labor member of parliament and the local federal Liberal member of parliament. So the, the state Labor member of parliament and the federal Liberal member of parliament. The problem is for their message is this section of, the, sh of the, the newspaper, the numbers at a glance, housing, renters, insolvency, unemployment, all back up what we were saying. And even the front page of the newspaper, just the, just the, the uh, headlines on the side, fast food break-in, stores hit, <laughs> just talking about the, the huge problems that are in Mandurah as a result yeah. of this economic decline, right? Um, so we, I'll give you one example. I want to play this clip from this, just a local shop owner who was a... Um, he owns a sports store in Mandra. He was interviewed on 6PR to talk about the fact he'd been broken into the day before and, he, and it went on a more general prop, um, comments about the state of Mandra. He cited this show that, that was done to say, look, these people came over from the east and they said it as it is. Listen to him say that. So this is part of the problem mm. that we're talking about. This is a social problem that we're now starting to head into. You know, we're being uh, economically strangled. So... I'm not sure if you're aware, but, you know, 41% of uh, Mandra households or postcode households of 6210 uh, have a, um, they're 
either un, underemployed or unemployed. That's 41%. That, so then you've got... That is, that, can you tell me where you're seeing that figure, just in case anyone wants to challenge it? Okay, so that was given to us through some um, analysts that actually put up on uh, YouTube just a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. uh, the economic massacre of Mandra. You can search it on YouTube, you'll find it up there, and you'll find they've gone and been very thorough in their analysis. Uh, they uh, work with the ABC, they work with a number of other uh, government bodies. You know, these guys are not uh, amateurs. These are, these are professionals in their field. Yeah. So uh, I certainly don't have any reason to doubt what they're saying, and we're seeing exactly what they say as, as um, you know, fact in this town. So if we go back to the situation of underemployed or unemployed, 41%. So Craig, he specifically confirmed that, he's, that, that what we said is what he sees every day. But what did the politicians say? Well, the one old quote is Andrew Hasty. He attacked the show. He called it over the top. And here's the problem with Hasty saying that. I, I've met Andrew Hasty, Craig. He mm-hmm. wanted to talk about the housing crisis. Yeah. And he made it clear his interest was personal because he lives in Mandurah, yeah. right? So why is he saying the opposite to the local paper? Well, the same day he's saying that, his assistant treasurer of his government, Michael Sucker, um, announced or did this big plug in the, in, the, in the paper saying to young people, get into the housing market now. The 5% deposit scheme that starts in January, he implied that'll make house prices skyrocket. He said, chance it now, get in now, and you'll be able to get in before it skyrockets and you'll, you'll have an even better deal, yeah. right? That's what, so these, these politicians, they're either in denial or the more important point is they're being dishonest to the public because they are trying to do one thing, get prices going up again. And the reality we talk about, they're worried is going to talk it down, right? Yeah. Isn't, here's the thing. They don't want a solution. That's not a solution. Isn't the real solution here is to let prices come down but do something orderly about the debt? Well, that's the problem, Robbie, is that we're in a bubble, right? And when you're talking about housing prices, houses should never have been part of speculation which has been made. So if you look at a house price, they should have been historically something about three times the median wage, right? In the capital cities of of Melbourne and Sydney, they're 8, 10, 12 the suburb times, of Strathfield got to 29 times. 29 times. So look, this is a bubble. It's going to collapse. You have to have an orderly way of doing it. Now, we've written a legislation, which is a debt moratorium legislation, to actually uh, provide the mechanism whereby we freeze mortgages and we freeze people being thrown out of their homes. People say, oh, that'll never happen. Well, it has, it has happened in the past. It happened in the United States in the 20s and Based the 30s. On precedent. The, you know, the Homeowners and Loan Corporation of Franklin Roosevelt was put in place to deal with over 1 million mortgages, right? So the question is, you're going to allow this thing just to crash, like have a mandra-type style thing across Well, the first country? of all, if they, if they did succeed in pr- propping up prices again, all they're doing is kicking the can down the road. And when it does crash eventually, because yeah. it's too much debt, then it'll even be, be even worse. Or you've got the two choices you're about to lay out. Let it crash and have disaster yeah. or do something orderly. And that's the point is that you know, we've had these economic rationalist policies for, for, for years now, 30, 40 years. People are used to a monetary system where the, the old dollar making profits, investments are the primary thing. What we say is that's not true. A government has to protect the general welfare of the people. So we're looking at it from the point of view is this is the likely scenario of a complete collapse of the housing market. How do you reorganise the, uh, the, the, the people's mortgages and housing values in order to be able to you know, keep people in their homes, keep families in their homes. Look, Robert, you've already had... This is, look at the crime that's happening in Mandra now. Yeah. 
What happens if that happens across Australia, yep. right? The police force isn't going to be able to police it. They know that. So this has to be tackled from a completely different way. The Citizens Electoral Council represents the policies of actually supporting the general welfare. And that's why I've written this legislation, to keep people and farmers on their land. So people can get a copy of that. We have a thing called the, on it, and it's on our website, the CEC's five-point program. That's explained in there. Yeah. And you can also get a copy of the actual legislation. Let's take a break and we'll continue this after. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing politicians' freak at economic truths condemn Australia to economic disaster. Now, what we discussed before the break, which is the, these politicians like Michael Sukla, they're talking about, get into the market now, because you know, they want to they pump it up. The, 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 the truth about that, that people have to understand, is politicians don't care about the public when they're saying this. The, the regulators don't care about the public. All they care about is the banks. One of the biggest, the, the biggest prop financial problem in Australia is they allowed our banks to become more exposed to one asset, housing, than any other banks in the history of the world, effectively, right? And so as it wobbles and, and goes down, the banks are in trouble. Now, so this is what the system has done. That includes the government, includes the regulators, etc. This week, Graham Samuel released his capability review into the bank regulator APRA, and the whole thing is a sham. Now, there's some truths in there that, that are always in these things, but in general, in terms of the real stuff, it's a sham. It's a sham. So the headlines call it a scathing attack on APRA's culture um, and those sort of things. But at the core, it's a whitewash of the fact that APRA has not regulated this risk the banks have, Craig. It's just white, not only has it whitewashed that, it's praised APRA as, quote, an impressive and forceful regulator in matters of traditional financial risk. No, it is not. And the, yesterday's Australian newspaper quoted both um, our friend Dr. Wilson Sy and the economist Stephen Keane on the fact that APRA's given credit for keeping the bank solvent for the last, where all, all they did is create a credit bubble through housing, right? And that's what we're paying for now. Anyway, I asked the economist Philip Seuss about this from LF Economics. I asked him to comment, I'm going to play two clips. I asked him to comment on the Mandurah story, because he knows West Australia very well, and what it means specifically for the banks. So look at this clip. So you've seen the show that um, uh, John and Martin did, which I appeared on in the interest of the people, which I recommend people watch on the interest of the people channel. It's called The Economic Massacre of Mandurah. Just give us your general impressions of what you saw. Well, I've been to Mandurah, Perth, uh, all throughout WA um, numerous times uh, over the years. And all the way into the, uh, G up to the GFC, Mandurah, was, uh, it was boom times. Uh, according to the, uh, the famous Demographia report, uh, Mandurah was the third most uh, unaffordable region in Australia at the time. And then when the GFC hit, something cracked and it never quite recovered. And uh, the mining boom held it up for a while to, through to 2012-13. And from there, it just came basically off a cliff. Yep. Uh, prices and rents have come down by a third. Um, Population um, inflows have weakened. It's very much a, a retirement uh, town. Mm. But for as long as those fly and fly at workers uh, came in and uh, spent, uh, th things were pretty good. And now it's over the last five years, uh, it, things have taken the tumble for the worse. Now, it's 30% down in uh, nominal terms, but it's even worse in real terms, right? That's Explain right. that difference. Well, it's the difference between nominal and real is just the um, in 
the adjustment you make for uh, inflation, which is typically positive, around 2 to 3% um, per year. Uh, the thing about uh, Perth and Mandurah during the, the times of the mining boom was that inflation was actually uh, quite higher um, right. due to the much stronger um, um, uh, wage growth and, and a, a lower unemployment rate. But now that's uh, certainly not the case anymore. So it's about 40% down in real terms in Mandurah. And all of WA, which is roughly about 20% down normally, is actually about 30% down. That's right. Um, so when I was there, I had this... We're, we're from the East Coast. We're, you know, John's from near Sydney. I'm from Melbourne, like you, um, Philip. And we'd been looking around our areas, and we haven't seen anything yet here like WA. And so my impression when I saw this is, oh, my God, if the rest of Australia was like this... Australian banks would all be, already be in trouble. That's what I wanted to put to you. Do you think how much trouble do you think the banks were in would be in if the big markets like Sydney and Melbourne become like Western Australia and Mandurah? They would probably uh, come very close to insolvency. Uh, definitely, the uh, NPL's uh, non-performing loan rate uh, would uh, uh, rise uh, much higher. They'd have a lot more uh, bad and doubtful debts to deal with on their books. And that is why the establishment is in such a panic. They don't particularly mind, mind that if places like Perth, uh, Mandurah or regional Queensland or uh, Darwin uh, take a bit of a hit because by value the, yeah. they account for two smaller, Small um, markets. Two smaller pieces of the pie uh, in Australia. But overwhelmingly, um, uh, Victoria and New South Wales or Melbourne and Sydney account for uh, just over two-thirds of all value of all property in Australia. So this is where the action is. And that's why the uh, establishment is now gone all out with APRA making changes, RBA cutting. And don't forget, the uh, RBA is already engaged in QE. Yep. It's targeting bank funding costs. And soon it's going to uh, uh, move over to targeting um, uh, government treasuries. And then it'll move over to uh, targeting um, uh, the bank's um, ABS and RMBS um, securities, um, uh, even more so than they've done, to try and force down the yields and the funding costs in order to lower the mortgage interest rates. So they, they would, when you say targeting those things, that these are asset-backed securities and residential mortgage-backed securities, the RBA would let the banks sell those to them so they can inject more money into them. Pretty much. And uh, by doing that, by purchasing them en masse, uh, they can lower the, the yields. Yeah. And um, uh, the intention is to try and lower the mortgage interest rate to try and uh, get more uh, uh, lending happening. And then I got Philip to explain how banks cook their books. Here's an example of that, he's, that, he, that was brought to his attention. And they do this to pretend their risk is lower than it is. So watch this important clip from the interview. So since uh, the last episode aired, I had a, a couple of people contact me from um, in and around uh, industry. And they were telling me what, what the banks do is that on the front end, a borrower just may see their, their plain mortgage, say half a million dollars, um, yeah. principal and interest. Um, that's just apple pie st kind of stuff. But on your back end, uh, the bank could um, uh, split it up um, into four, five, six um, segments. And the purpose for this is to... Um, uh, basically uh, hold down um, the loan-to-value ratios and to also originate more interest-only loans, but to then disguise them as principal and interest. Right. 
So for instance, if you had, uh, say, a million dollar mortgage, you had, um, at the front end, it just looked like one plain mortgage, but on the back end, they have cut into four segments. What, the first segment is a $700,000 interest signing loan, and then you have the, the last uh, 300000 cut into three portions of principal and interest, uh, so three P&I mortgages. Uh, but because the bank then uses an unweighted um, LVR methodology, um, there are by LVR, that's 75% principal and interest and only 25% um, interest only. Right. And so to the, um, to the borrower and also to the data they provide to the regulators, the credit rating agencies and um, uh, auditors, it, it seems like a standard uh, principal and interest loan. Well, so okay. In case people missed that, just to interpret it, because this is what unweighted means. There's 700,000 and three, a million is divided into one lot of 700,000 and three lots of 100,000. Yep. But that's four parts. And they can use an unweighted average where they, they claim they are four quarters of the mortgage yep. and present their figures to the regulators and their own... They're fooling themselves. We discussed this last time. They're actually fooling themselves if, they, if, they wanna, if they're doing this, mm, right? Mm. Um, but this is the sort of trick, and it's, it's clearly fraud. I mean, what, you know, what other intention is there? This is the sort of trick they're prepared to resort to just to pretend their books are better than they are. Well, uh, with the onset of neoliberal privatisation deregulation since the 80s, the banks have had a long time to optimise um, their uh, mortgage systems to produce the outcomes they want. Yeah. So, Craig, this, what Philip's just gone through, is an example of how under the current APRA regime, regulation is way too complex. Mm. And it's based on all these knobs and levers of capital yep. requirements and stuff. How can we simplify regulation so the banks can't game them like that? Well, Robbie, we've got to introduce Glass-Steagall. And then this is, this is our legislation here, Robbie. It's 14 pages. It's not complex. It's and what simple. it does, it simply separates out the retail banking or the commercial banking activities from all the speculative merchant banking, investment banking uh, activities. It breaks up the banks and gets rid of the insurance houses, the stockbroking houses that, that, that are stuffed in these banks today. So what it does is simplifies banks down to being boring old banks and that's what we need in this system. Yep. People can, can speculate and they can use investment banking. We're not saying you don't have investment banks if you don't want them, but the rules are different. They don't have access to people's deposits. If you've got deposits, you can't do any of that stuff. That's right. And that's better than it all is. All and this that's the definition of our legislation. That's simple. Yep. But again, this flies in the face of 40 years of monetarist policies, of the policies of economic rationalism, of breaking down the economy, selling off assets. So it's completely the opposite direction, but it's the only solution that's going to work. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Craig. Let's take another break. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Finally, the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, the economic imperative for Australia to go to space. And just quickly, Craig, before we get to the yep. subject, in the break, we were, we were given the news that the Daily Mail online, which ranks with the New York Times as the biggest online newspaper worldwide, also covered the Mandurah story. Economists drive through WA town counting endless for sale signs on properties revealing the true extent of Australia's housing crisis. Yeah. So we have really made a big splash with that. People can look that up on the Daily Mail website. So let's get on to something far more elevating, which is the um, space program. This tomorrow, Saturday, or US time Saturday, that is when Neil Armstrong, the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. This is mankind's greatest achievement. And it came out of something actually evil. 
the Nazi rocket program, V2 mm -hmm. rockets, which my grandfather experienced bombing London when he would live there in the Blitz in World War II, right? The, they took that technology and they used it for peace and created the space program. Incredible thing. Um, we're saying we should, this, this is good for the economy. Explain, Craig, how space exploration, which some people might just think is, is a big bill of money, explain how it's a science driver well, for Robbie, economic the, growth. What you're dealing with in space exploration is you have to overcome all sorts of problems because you're dealing with trying to understand how the universe actually works. So what you do is you make discoveries of how the universe works. You make discoveries of new technologies and those technologies then can be played back into the economy and what you see is an increase in the capacity of that economy to support the populations yeah. around the world. And that's what's happened with the space program. So, you know, for every, uh, for every uh, I think it's every cent spent, there was 10 cents returned to the economy because yeah. of this process. Through better technologies. Better technology and breakthroughs. Australia, Australia got in on the ground floor. I think we were the third country to launch a satellite from our own territory. But after the, the, the 70s, you know, they, they just stopped funding it. And we've done very little since then. Um, but you've looked at Andrew, Tommy, Andy Thomas. He had a, Some Australians have participated. Yeah, I know, we, Robbie, we published, and it's online. People can get it. It's Australia's blueprint for economic development. It's our development program for, for Australia. It goes through water projects, uh, nuclear power. It goes through you know, all that high-speed trains, high-speed shipping. Now, in there, we also talk about Australia actually has to have a space program. And we interviewed Dr. Andy Thomas, who's, I think, one of our most famous astronauts because yeah. he spent 130 days uh, on the Mir space station and he was participated in at least two space shuttle missions. And he goes through and he's called for a space agency, serious space program. We actually have the geographical uh, advantages here in Australia, particularly in Cape York. Uh, you know, you want to be near the equator and Cape York is a really right. good position. But see, Robbie, this gets back to the, the, the sense that Australia has to get out of its colonial mentality. Yeah. We have an enormous country here we can develop. If we em embrace the idea of a science driver like Kennedy did with the space program, not just for space, but for everything else, you, we can transform this economy, we can create high paying jobs. We can have high-speed rail systems like maglev systems or high-speed rail systems for freight all over this country. So instead of just digging up dirt and sending it overseas, we could actually use it here to, to, to elevate our economy much higher than just well, a quarry. That's the, Robbie, you've got to get out of the colonialist you know, yeah. mentality. You know, if Australia wants to become a sovereign nation, we're not a sovereign nation right now. We don't have control of our banking system. We aren't developing our country like the way we should. But if we were to, to, to grab hold of the idea of developing our country, you know, accelerating a science driver and then have our politicians actually support the idea of a science driver economy, this place could be transformed in a very short period of time. And Robbie, we wouldn't have the drought problems that we now have in the centre of New South Wales where you know, you've got four or five towns running out of water when a lot of that water, for example, up north is running everywhere. out to yep. sea. Yeah. You know, the Bradfield scheme, which we go through in here, would solve that problem. You might have run a few pipelines from it across to these particular towns, but that would give an, un an unending uh, amount of water for those towns. So, let's, in other words, let's, let's solve the problems, right, and, and do it in a high-technology way. That's just quick, solution. One thing I want to mention just briefly, people could look it up, we won't have time, but fusion technology, if we can ever develop it and master it, can really change, transform the, the earth because it solves all energy needs. Um, we've been calling for Australia to go nuclear for a long time. Yeah, this is our newspaper, uh, New Citizen. Again, it's online too. Australia must enter the nuclear age. If people want to understand more about nuclear power, 
go on there on the, onto our website and, and we could mine a, an element of the moon called helium three that can help do that for us yes. one shuttle, shuttle space load fuels the united states for a whole year that's right but craig we're out of time thanks very much yeah, thanks, thanks to the listener tune in next week